Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. The opioid epidemic continues to ravage communities around the country and here in Iowa as well. Maybe someone you know, an acquaintance, a friend, or even a family member has died from an overdose. Well, then you know the pain of this opioid epidemic. According to the CDC, there were over 100,000 drug overdose deaths in the U.S. during 2021. Think about that over 100,000 drug overdose deaths in one year. This hour, we want to discuss substance use disorders, but more specifically, the taboo of having such a disorder and how that's likely to shape the quality of health care you receive. Now, multiple studies have told us that most health care professionals do hold negative attitudes towards patients with substance use disorders, And these attitudes can result in patients receiving suboptimal care. Later this hour, we'll hear from addiction specialists. Uh, We'll also explore the power of story. Yes, storytelling to eliminate stigma. But first, let's get to know an Iowan, one of our community members with a substance use disorder, and hear his story. Dylan Dehir joins me now. He lives in south-central Iowa near Knoxville, works as an exterminator. He's also a volunteer with the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition. Dylan, welcome to the program. Hello, how are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you so much for for sh- joining us and for sharing what is um, you know a painful part of your life so that others can can learn and we can learn about stigmas. Dylan, before we focus on the stigma that you've experienced, uh, tell us a little bit about the early days of your addiction. How did it start? How did uh, you get addicted to meth in this case? I feel like uh, a lot of it has to do with like where where I grew up, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of people use a lot of substances, and like that's what you grew up with your whole life, and you see other people doing these things, and it kind of becomes a, a normal thing, or at least it makes you feel like it's a normal thing, right? And then uh, I had gotten some trouble, got put on probation, which uh, made it so I couldn't use uh, some substances that I had that might have been uh, like keeping me on my path, and. Uh, but then uh, once I got put on probation, you know, you have to you have to be able to take a, a UA every month. Uh, and like mm-hmm. with with using meth uh, rather than what I used before, like it's out of your system in three days. So that was kind of like where it started for me, just because I felt like I needed something. And then, uh, you know, it slowly progressed from uh it started like, you know, it's just a weekend thing. It's just, we're just going to do it on the weekends. And then uh, next thing you know, you're doing it with a buddy at lunchtime at work. And then you're seeking your own. Uh, and then like when you don't have it, like it's not, a, it's not okay. <laughs> you're not, you're yeah. not, uh, you're not happy when you don't have it. And then, uh, you know, as far as how, how I got uh, turned around a little bit, uh, my mom, my mom being diagnosed with cancer probably definitely had something to do with it uh, because I felt that uh, I'd kind of not been the best son uh, that I could have been uh, my whole life. If it wasn't for my mom, I'd probably be in prison or dead. 
but then when that happened, uh, like, I don't know, it was like a little switch in my head had went off and I had also ran into the, the Iowa harm reduction stuff and it kind of, uh, it all just fell in order for me. And then just learning that, uh, you know, that not everybody, not everybody's dealt the same deck or the same hand, uh, at, at the beginning, you know? Okay. Tell us a little bit more uh, as we zero in on the stigma attached to these substances. When do you feel that? In what areas of life uh, living there in south-central Iowa have you encountered a a stigma, whether it's in a healthcare setting or otherwise? I mean, for me, I had had some more privilege than a lot of people had uh, or have, uh, you know, like, I, I was always like I could talk to the people at the Iowa Harm Reduction, you know, so, and I did never have any medical issues, so I can't speak on on myself for that. Uh, but like when I did quit using, like I lost I lost like sixty pounds when I quit using, which is like usually the opposite of what people think of a meth user, you know. Like I should have I should have put some weight on, and then like I have this whole town of twelve hundred people or however many people live here of like, oh, like he's, he's definitely using drugs now. Like is when I quit, like everybody, the whole town thought I was using drugs and like, I'm not. <laughs> and like, that's, uh, that's tough to get over when you have everybody thinking that and saying that about you. How were you treated differently in your, in your town here in Iowa? What, can you give us some examples of, of how you felt that? Yeah. I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, like you're, you're passing somebody in the grocery store and they like, they just, you don't have the same interactions with people that you used to have, you know, and that just, uh, it feels weird, whether it's, whether it's a weird look from someone or, uh, you know, or you see somebody, and I mean, maybe they weren't talking about me, but like to see somebody whispering in the corner, you know, and they're looking at you and it's just, uh, it made it, it made it hard to actually want to stay on the path because of like, if everybody thinks I'm doing it, like it's hard to not have the mindset, like I might as well do it anyway. Right. D- Dylan, how long has it been since you used? Uh, I don't. I don't have an actual date that I remember for sure, but it's been. It's it's got to be close to four years by now. Uh, Congratulations on that! You must feel great about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty nice, and I don't know. It doesn't actually. I mean, yeah, I quit using, uh, but like, it doesn't feel like something's missing in my life, right? Because like, that was always the the terror of quitting. Uh, like, oh, what am I going to do with my time now? And then just like the, the harm reduction stuff, man, it really, uh, like it gave me a place to talk to people where you don't get looked at any type of way or whatever, you know, and then to be able to do that for other people, like, I I think it's awesome. Like whether it's because at the end of the day, like what it all boils down to, I feel like is like being able to sit down and actually have a genuine conversation with a person and kind of put yourself in their shoes, you know, and try to understand their story. Because like a lot of people don't have someone that will do that for them. Right. It sounds it sounds to me like, you know, you enjoy the conversations that don't have all that judgment attached to who you are because of you've sure. uh, been a user. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, like there's there's a few standout things that I remember people saying, you know, that like that really stuck in my mind. And it was it's just a couple words. Right. And like, I just feel like if I can be those couple words for someone like it would like it's awesome to be able to do that for people. Yeah. What are those couple words, Dylan? Uh, one of them was from uh, my friend uh, that actually runs the harm reduction now. She uh you know, my mom passed away and like, I'd been sober for a year at that point. And, uh, 
at the end of the day, after all the service and everything, like she looked at me and she was like, uh, she's like, just think about it. Like you just went through like what might've been like one of, it's probably the toughest day of your life and you did it with zero substances. She's like, you didn't need anything. Mm. And I was like, wow, I never, uh, never thought about that. Right. Until like somebody says that to you and you're like, oh, I can't do it. I can't do it with nothing. <laughs> Being a volunteer for Iowa Harm Reduction help you. Why do you go again and again? What do you get out of it? It's I always say that it's kind of uh, I always ask myself sometimes uh, I'm like, is this is this really my therapy? Right. Uh, because like just listening just listening to people and uh, being able to relate with their stories, you know, like it's enlightening because uh, you're like, sometimes it's like, wow, that's why, that's why that happened to me. Or like, this is, that's why I used to do that. Uh, like, you just never know. You get different views from different people and, and like uh, just trying to put it all together. And then, like I said earlier, you know, it was those, those a couple words, you know, if I can be those couple words for someone that, that sets them in motion to do better for themselves. Like I want to do that. Well, well, Dylan, to hear um, you've uh, really given us so much to think about here through your personal story and your valuable work as a volunteer for the Iowa harm reduction coalition. Thank you for sharing your story. uh, And uh, we wish you continued good work um, in helping others with addiction problems. Dylan, thank you so much. Yes, thank you guys for the opportunity to share. That conversation with Dylan recorded a little earlier today. It's River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. This hour, exploring substance abuse disorders, but uh, through the lens of our implicit biases about people who have them, uh, and later the power of story to eliminate stigmas or help with stigmas attached to those um, with substance abuse disorders, because we're finding out, and we will find out right now, how these biases, this stigma can get in the way of really helping people with treatment. And I want to welcome back to our program Dr. Allison Lynch, clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Iowa, family physician, addiction specialist, also director of the UI Addiction and Recovery Collaborative. Dr. Lynch, welcome back. Thanks, Ben. I'm happy to be here. I was fascinated watching your face, listening to that conversation I had with with Dylan there. So I'm going to look to you to tie this into your work and our focus of trying to reduce stigmas uh, when it comes to medical professionals treating people like Dylan and uh, our friends, our neighbors, our family members. What jumps out at you first? Well, you know, I think it really helps that Dylan just talks about his experience, both with using substances and kind of how he got into that, but also with his experience with recovery. And it just humanizes the experience. You know, he's somebody that could be my next door neighbor or, you know, someone that I see on my way to work every day. And, And I think that really speaks to how common substance use and substance use disorders are and how, um, it can really impact anybody in our community. Um, and it also, I was really struck by just the power of, relating to other people and how much it meant when his friend um, was able to, first of all, you know, talk with him about his substance use disorder in the past um, in a way that wasn't judgmental Mm -hmm. or made him feel bad or guilty or anything, but more just like recognizing that he's accomplished something on that day where he got through a hard day without 
needing to use substances to get through it, and, and which I think is just really empowering. Yeah. Transfer that to the medical setting, because our, our, our tighter focus here is how, you know, medical professionals can um, deliver suboptimal uh, care when they know they're dealing with someone who has an addiction uh, disorder. T- tie, tie that in. Uh, t- tell us about that problem that you that is in all hospitals across the country that is being tackled right now. Yeah, I think, you know, um, in my own medical training, I did not get a lot of training formally about working with people who have substance use disorders or talking with them in a comfortable way. And I certainly didn't get the message that substance use disorders are treatable. And, um, and so I think for a lot of clinicians, um, and, you know, I, I do feel like this is changing, but I think a lot of clinicians, it's just an uncomfortable topic. We don't, it, and it's hard when we're working with a patient that has a problem that we don't know how to treat and we don't know how to help them, or, or if we don't even don't believe that they, that there is treatment that can be helpful for them. Yeah. Um, that's, that's just kind of a frustrating situation to be in. Um, there's so much stigma and judgment about substance use in our society. Um, you know, a lot of it is illegal. Uh, and um, and it, we can certainly see people who use substances that where it plays a role in causing big problems for them and their family. And um, and so there's there's just lots of reasons why we all absorb negative attitudes about substance use and having mm-hmm. an addiction. And, and that just carries through. So when, um, you know, when a clinician is working with a patient and they don't know how to help them and they have absorbed lots of negative societal attitudes about substance use um, – it just doesn't lead to a good outcome a lot of the times. And I think our patients pick up on that and they yeah. they know we're frustrated. They know we're not sure what to do. They don't get this sense of hope from us. And so they're dissatisfied also. And, and then we end up not helping them. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Lynch, let's also welcome one of your colleagues uh, to our program in our Iowa City studio. Dr. Eric Epping is with us, clinical professor of psychiatry, co-director of the clinical and professional skills curriculum in the, uh, the UI Carver College of Medicine. Thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Epping. Thank you, Ben. And uh, this is interesting. Your angle here is you teach medical students how to interview and examine patients. So your perspective is especially valuable here when we talk about trying to change the culture among medical professionals professionals in, in interacting with people who have substance use disorders, isn't it? Yes. So, so, so react to what you heard from Dr. Lynch and, and from Dylan. Well, What's your take here? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's definitely just like Dr. Lynch said, uh, my own medical training also here at Iowa, that we didn't learn a lot about it. And so we're doing a lot to, as now in the role of educators to <clears throat> uh, advance that teaching. And we start right at the beginning. So, so in, with, with, with medical students, yeah. Yeah. Um, what common biases do you detect? Because these medical students are, students are part of our larger community. They're mu- those biases are, are with all of us, right. aren't they? Absolutely. So yes. what, do you, what do you find? Well, I, uh, certainly, I think some, uh, it's, I'd say lack of experience, you know, not having interaction with uh, people uh, that, have, uh, that are in recovery or, or currently uh, you know, experiencing uh, substance use. And so uh, just getting that experience to understand uh, what it's like uh, to talk to people who have that, who have their own experience and uh, identify issues related to stigma. I talked in the very first semester to our medical and physician assistant students about stigma and uh, that it's uh, something that we can definitely do to work on to address. And, mm-hmm. uh, Is there a tendency, Dr. Epping, to, to sort of 
other people, put them in an other category once they're a, uh, they have this uh, addiction problem? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's, uh, I think, still still a challenge in society. And uh, it's going to take, I think, continued efforts. Uh, I know uh, uh, other medical schools across the country are also working very hard to address this. And there are a lot of efforts uh, that are uh, supported uh, both at the state and federal level to do this. Uh, a lot of the work we are doing uh, in the Carver College of Medicine is uh, supported by grants from mm-hmm. the federal government uh, mm-hmm. to teach our students about uh, substance use and uh, also about uh, helping people with opioid use disorder uh, as well. Yeah. Dr. Lynch, back to you. you. You mentioned earlier that this is changing, that medical professionals through uh, teaching, such as uh, Dr. Epping delivers, but other things. What What is making the necessary change now? Uh, there's been a little bit of change. It sounds like there could be a lot more, but what it, what is being affected? How, how is change occurring? Well, there have been a lot of changes. I think, you know, Dr. Epping mentioned that the um, the Carver College of Medicine has, and like other medical schools around the country, has incorporated some new curriculum and that, you know, he talks with students at the beginning of their medical school training about stigma. Um, and so there's like conversations and and um, uh, presentations, lectures about, about substance use as well as stigma. Um, and then... Uh, one of the really cool things that I actually got to do this morning is now all of the medical students and physician assistant students get to spend time in our addiction clinic. And so this morning I was in clinic and I had a medical student and it was her first time working in our clinic. Yeah. And um, it, just talking with her at the end of the morning, uh, you know, it's it's such an impactful experience. She got to see several patients that are doing really well in their recovery. Um, she got to see us talking with them and she got to participate in talking with them about their substance use, asking in a curious and compassionate way rather than a judgmental or blaming way. Um, and almost every morning when I'm in clinic, I get to have a medical student with me and and they really, I get really positive feedback. They like the opportunity to, um, to actually talk with patients about yeah. substance use because it isn't always something they have experience with. And Dr. Epping, I'm sure you have the same sorts of experiences. So you actually see in these um, medical professionals in training, their eyes opening, so to speak. Uh, if that wasn't part of their their earlier upbringing, their experiences, they, how do they react? Yes, oh, that's, uh, I think, uh, one of the great rewards of teaching is seeing that uh, students open their eyes to the, these things and, and uh, learn how to develop these skills uh, as they become uh, medical professionals. And so mm-hmm. we're doing a lot to, to do that and having these opportunities uh, in uh, the clinical experiences are very important. And we start, we train them even before they see patients uh, yeah. to learn how to do this as well. Dr. Lynch, uh, you've been practicing how long? Um, How long does your medical career go back approximately? Uh, Actually, I'm coming up on 20 years since I finished my training. (laughs) I I ask that for a good reason because our language has changed, and I'm sure you've noticed that. So compare the language... Uh, that was used uh, in addiction with what we have today. People will have probably notice that we're talking about substance use disorder, which may be unfamiliar to many people. Why, why term it that way? Uh, we very often in the past would say, oh, that's a, that person's an addict, for instance. Yeah, so there's a couple of different things that play into this. Um, one is, you know, as a psychiatrist, I follow the DSM-5 now, uh, which is our manual for diagnostic uh, diagnoses, actually, and then the criteria that are required in order to have a diagnosis. Um, and so DSM-5, the diagnosis for a, for 
addiction um, is substance use disorder. Um, in the previous iteration of that, our manual DSM-4, it was substance abuse and dependence. Um, and so substance use disorder is just less stigmatizing of a term, and it yeah. is currently the accurate, correct, up-to-date term for the diagnos- but, for diagnosis. But, but people with addiction uh, disorders, they don't necessarily use that language, do they? No. Is, is that kind of alien to them? I'm just wondering how that meshes. Yeah. You're, you're interacting with them, but you're using a different lingo. Right. And, and um, well, th- there's several things to say about that. So, yeah, people use the language that they use, and it incorporates uh, both kind of street terms and also some outdated terms that we're not using in the medical uh, terminology anymore. Um, and that's fine. Um, you know, our language evolves. I try to use medical terminology because I'm a physician, um, <laughs> and I, you know, have to write notes on about patients yeah. and enter a diagnosis into our system. I think the other thing that's really changed, though, is is really trying to have a more person-centered approach. And so we no longer talk about people um, as by labeling them by their disorder, and that and that's not just with substance use disorders. That's also, um, you know, so I call I would refer to a person, uh, a patient of mine as a person with a substance use disorder, maybe a person with opioid use disorder, or maybe a person who uses a substance. They might not even have a substance right. use disorder. And um, but I also talk about a patient of mine, maybe a patient with schizophrenia or a patient with diabetes. I don't refer to people by their diagnosis and refer to them as a diabetic or a schizophrenic or an addict, but more just talk about them a person first. And and how does that reduce the stigma, the bias? Well, because it recognizes that first they're a person and, and after that they may have a condition or a disorder that they're dealing with rather than labeling them first by their condition. I, I think it, it just humanizes people. And it also makes them a person just like you or me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder what happens when, when a person with an addiction uh, disorder, they don't see themselves as that person with an addiction because they have a stigma against that type of person. Does that happen? Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of level, levels of stigma or layers of stigma. Um, there's the stigma that we as a society have. There's just sort of stigma in between interpersonal stigma. But then there's also a lot of internalized stigma that people have about themselves. And and many people feel um, they've absorbed societal attitudes and will feel that they are to blame for having a substance use disorder or that it was about their bad choices. And that's really um missing a lot of the variables that play into somebody developing a substance use disorder. There's biological and genetic con- contributions to having a substance use disorder. You know, as as Dylan was talking about earlier, a lot of it has to do with environment and what, um, you know, what other people around you are doing, what's considered normal behavior, what's considered a normal way to respond to stress. And then things like just stress and trauma in one's life can can definitely influence whether somebody uses substance as a way to cope with those those stressors yeah. and whether they develop a substance so, use disorder. So what I hear you saying, treating it more as a medical problem that it is rather than a behavioral problem like you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make better decisions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thinking of it as a medical problem is very helpful, I think. Okay. We'll be back in just a moment with Dr. Allison Lynch, a, um, addiction specialist, a psychiatrist, also with her colleague, Dr. Eric Epping, clinical professor of psychiatry. And uh, we'll uh, be back. And, and then we'll also be joined by the director of creative writing at the UI, Carver College of Medicine, uh, Kate Desherry. And uh, she'll tell us how storytelling can help dissolve stigmas, if you can put it that way. Back in just a moment. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. 
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. We're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I am Ben Kiefer. Uh, this hour exploring uh, substance abuse disorders, uh, but through the lens of mostly of our biases towards people who have them, the stigma attached, and how that can be really a, blow, a roadblock in the way of having effective treatment. And uh, this is not a little niche problem in our country. As I mentioned at the outset, over 100,000 drug overdose deaths in the U.S. during 2021. Maybe someone you know, an acquaintance, a friend, or maybe even a family member has died from an overdose. We want to prevent that, and we want to have um, the suffering of people who uh, have these disorders, a substance use disorder, um, be effectively treated. Uh, so uh, l- let's get back to our conversation. Uh, Dr. Allison Lynch is, is with us, uh, psychiatrist, family physician, addiction specialist at the University of Iowa, and uh, also her colleague, Dr. Eric Epping, clinical professor of psychiatry in the business of helping teach medical students to interview, to interact uh, with uh, uh, future patients uh, there. Dr. Lynch, before we uh, left that uh, at the end of that uh, last segment here, uh, we had, didn't have much time. I said something like, you know, we want to see it more as a behavioral uh, problem, rather more as a medical problem rather than a behavioral problem. Elaborate on that because I think, we, as you pointed out in the break, we may have left people with a, a bit of a confused idea about what this is. Yeah. So I think it's really important to view substance use disorders and addiction as a medical condition or as you know having a medical issue um and and there are behaviors associated with addiction or substance use and so it's it is there are behavioral you know it's partly a behavioral disorder i think the main thing is um it's more helpful to view it as a medical condition than as a personal failure mm. um and uh, the reason I think it's really important to view it as a medical condition is it's it's very has a lot of similarities with other other chronic health conditions, and one of them is that there are medical treatments and um, other related treatments, behavioral interventions that can help people, and people do live very well with. Uh, with these treatments and in recovery from a substance use disorder. So I I, I really want to promote that um, the medical system and your healthcare provider is and should be a place where you can go and ask for help for addiction and, and also expect to get good help. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Epping, uh, you work with students to reduce stigma in in care there, teaching medical students how to interview and examine patients. It's really quite interesting, the program at the University of Iowa, um, found in other uh, teaching hospitals uh, around the country and the world. You have simulated patients. And so you have patients uh, simulating um, uh, substance use disorders that that are presented to uh, these uh, medical students in training? Yes, that's correct. Uh, There's a project uh, I've worked on with another one of our colleagues, Dr. Anthony Miller, who's the director of uh, addiction treatment for the Veterans Medical Center. And uh, for the last several years, uh, we've uh, uh, provided an opportunity for students to uh, learn how to talk to patients uh, about substance use uh, using a program that's called Screening, Brief Intervention, and Referral to Treatment and uh, utilizes uh, practice with uh, simulated patients uh, who are trained to uh, be the patient in this situation and and learn how to uh, interact with our students as they learn to talk to people uh, with substance use. And typically, what are the greatest challenges the medical students have in interacting with people with these type of substance use disorders? I'd say even just 
starting the conversation is uh, one of the biggest challenges. And so te teaching them how to initiate the conversation on the topic and, and, and speak to our students uh, in a, in a non-judgmental way is very important too. Okay, I want to introduce one last guest uh, for the rest of the hour. Joining us as well, Kate DeSherry is the Director of Creative Writing at the Carver College of Medicine. Uh, she runs a storytelling program. Kate, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. The people out there going, wait, well, uh, a, a <laughs> creative writing program? At, wait, did you mix up programs? Or are you on a different show to, all of a sudden? No, there is one at the Carver College of Medicine. Uh, tell us about your program and, and its goals. So the program is um, Writing in Humanities at the Carver College of Medicine, working with the same students that we've been talking about all morning. And our, our primary goal is mitigating dehumanization. That's the way we think about it. First, often with our learners who are going through an experience of medical education where they themselves are adapting to this same healthcare world and their persona as a you know, soon-to-be provider. Um, but the goal being ultimately so that patients coming in are receiving compassionate care, that we're mitigating dehumanization that goes on in the healthcare setting, again, starting with learners, but hoping that they can pass that on to their patients. Okay, dehumanization. That's yeah. that's a pretty strong word. <laughs> None of us want to do that to another individual yeah. and certainly not a healthcare provider. Mm -hmm. Give me an example of how that happens with sort of an implicit bias that, what, through language? We talked about sure. that earlier. The treatment? What's going on? Give us an example. Well, I'll do my best from my perspective as a non-clinician, non-provider. But, um, I mean, what we see is it's everything we've been talking about today. It's what Dylan was talking about. It's... Um, when you enter, let's say, a healthcare setting, and we'll hear, we, we're recording stories of patients who've had this happen where providers think they understand something about them, think they understand something about their lives. Um, and as, as Dr. Lynch was saying earlier, we've consumed socially all these stories about, let's say, substance use disorder and what we think we know about those people. And in a lot of those cases, um, that's criminalizing. It's turning it into a deviant behavior. It's sort of associating a story with those people that allows or sort of permits treating that person as subhuman. Um, and that's what people face when they go into healthcare settings, often when they're not seeking treatment, but they have something else going on in their body and they just need to see a doctor, but they have this other story that's attached to them that really allows mistreatment. Okay. And that's what we're yeah, trying to mitigate. Okay. And I understand you're creating narrative videos that will be used, to, that are being used with medical students as part of their training. We have a couple of audio excerpts from these videos, and uh, I want to play uh, we have just a, a short couple of clips here. Let me play the first one. This is a participant in the program who uh, wanted to remain anonymous. So let's just listen to the first part of what she has to say here. The social worker was like, oh, it's too late. You should have asked for help like months ago were her words. When she said that, I'm like, this is a waste of time. This is a waste of gas. You know, I'm homeless. It's hard to get up here to begin with. Like, I'm, I want out. Like, I give up. Because part of me does feel like, maybe I can do this, but then I have so many of these professionals, like, want me to just, like, get, <laughs> I don't know, I don't want to sound, I don't want to exaggerate here, but, like, get out of my view. Like, I don't want to look at you, you know? Um, it really did feel that way. Wow, that's that's pretty strong stuff. Give us some context there, if you could, Kate, for for this individual. Yeah, so this individual um, is a person with substance use disorder who, um, in this situation, was pregnant and had been using heroin in the course of her pregnancy and had been 
resistant to seeking care um, mm-hmm. because she feared the judgment that she would experience if she went in to, to seek care. And um, and her situation involved, she started having bleeding at about 30 weeks in. And I think, um, you know, she was, she was experiencing very similar to what Dylan described, right? It's a look. It's a way someone talks to you. It's a why haven't you sought care before now. It's sort of a series of... Um, more than microaggressions, but sort of insults that that made her feel judged and shamed. And because of that, she doesn't seek care. One of the things I noticed in his story that we've heard repeatedly in our the patients we've talked to is that it doesn't take much in, to break in, trust. Dylan, in Dylan's story. Yeah, and and also in this woman's experience. Because they're very sensitive to picking up on these cues right. that you might not think you're communicating. Right, and it doesn't take much to break trust. And if you have that trust broken with the healthcare setting and you, with the system and you feel like that's what you'll encounter if you go back, you may not go seek care for whatever injury you may have or issue. Um, similarly, like in Dylan's story and like with this individual, it didn't take much to change that. So one compassionate moment, one person treating you with dignity and respect, valuing you as a person, mm-hmm. changed the trajectory of their lives. Um, and that's what you'll hear in the rest of this story is one nurse midwife saying you are of equal value to all other people changed the course of her life. Um, so that's something we want to reinforce with our students. Let's hear a little bit uh, longer excerpt from that same anonymous patient with a substance uh, use uh, disorder here. And then uh, perhaps, Kate, you can you can chime in with uh, some of the other nuances that we'll hear in this clip. Let's listen. When I say I grew up in a car, I really did grow up in a car. Um, I can remember times where I would be like, call in the backseat, you know. Um, I started doing drugs by the time I was 13. Like, I'm talking to like smoking crack, like heavy drugs when I was 13, just because um, the people that my dad were around were really bad people. And my dad wasn't aware of it, but they would try to, they would say, hey, come over my apartment, you know, and I was young and did and really that's one of my whole the whole drug thing started for me I did make a bad decision but I don't think anybody who would even see this or anybody you talk to can say I've never made a bad decision Um, maybe that bad decision just didn't stick with you Um, drugs turn people into people they're not um, I mean, I look at things I'd done that I was definitely not myself. Um, and really, there's going to be a lot of people who don't change, um, but don't count anybody out because all you have to do is try. We're not all the same. Our intentions aren't all the same. I don't know. Just we're not bad people. Some people just really need help. Mm. Heartbreaking, uh, an excerpt from a narrative video used with medical students as part of their training um, in the program that uh, Kate Sherry, one of my guests, is um, heading there, director of creative writing at the UI College, Carver College of Medicine. So uh, that uh, tugs at your heartstrings mm-hmm. there, doesn't that? is the opposite of dehumanize. That is humanize, mm-hmm. isn't it? So what is your thinking in including um, real-life narratives like that for medical students? Yeah, so 
The idea, I, I would say for me that our primary goal is, so let me say, you know, they're in medical education, they're in hard science, they're getting a lot of black and white, true and false, they're getting a lot of universality and replicability and hard science and facts. And when we get into the stories that people, actual individuals have, it's all ambiguity. It's all gray. There's no black and white. So we want them to really get comfortable with that. And for a lot of them, it's unfamiliar. It feels like there is a story that I know. It's that substance use disorder equals deviance or criminality. That's sort of a, a black and white one and done. Well, you listen to someone like this tell her story and you hear a person who used heroin throughout her pregnancy and also loves her child. You hear the story of a person who has a totally different background and, again, like Dylan, a very different version of what's normal for decades and is living in a little bit of a different world than a lot of our students. And if you really consider her um, in her full humanity, you have to really get in that ambiguity and start to really sit with it and hear these things, as you were saying, not as personal failings, but as just circumstances that are a part of someone's story. And then we really start to make progress, right? Then you really can get pushed through, push push past stigma and what our students think they know, right? We ask them, where did you get the information you have about folks who use meth? And they'll say TV. They'll Break, say Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, number one answer. <laughs> really? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and so we course. say, okay, well, maybe that's not real information. Um, one way to get real information is to listen to stories like this one. Yeah. Okay. How long has this program uh, been going on, Kate? Um, We've been recording. Well, so the program itself has been there for a very long time. This particular project of bringing patient stories into um, curricular and and sort of grand rounds faculty settings has been going for maybe a year and a half. And we've been very young. Yeah, very young. So so there's a lot. I will say this is not the only patient story project going on. There's lots of different versions of it. And and patient stories in the space of medical education is not new or my innovation. But um, Putting it in the clerkships and really trying to get patients who have been seen here. These are all local patients. Is This project has been going for about a year and a half and working with lots of different populations, not just substance mm-hmm. use disorder. I want to have our, our MDs comment mm-hmm. on, on what they've been listening to you and your explanation. Uh, this creative writing uh, now for many years being part of the UI Carver College of Medicine. Dr. Lynch, to you first of all, what has it added uh, to the education of our medical students that's so important in this context? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just been so helpful and important to highlight just the humanistic aspect of patients' lives, um, especially with addiction, but not only with addiction, with any kind of medical condition. Um, And... Yeah, so I, I think that's that's really been an important um, addition. Dr. Epping. I'll add that Kate and I have worked on a project uh, for one of the courses I teach, and uh, it's a narrative medicine activity for students to write about their own experiences. And uh, the topic that we chose for that activity was related to obesity. And so we're also uh, addressing biases uh, in that in that area uh, through right. writing uh, for, for our students. Right. And you focused on the next generation of uh, medical health uh, providers. But what about those already in the system? Maybe they've been 10, 15 20 years in the system. We want to do something about those biases, too. too. Uh, Dr. Epping, are I'm those just, be- Sorry, just wanted to briefly add, uh, Kate did uh, lead one of the sessions and showed one of the videos uh, with our f- teaching faculty uh, uh-huh. early, earlier this year. So we've been yeah. uh, doing that. Kate, that Kate, what was the reaction to that? What did you see in the faces or hear in the comments from them? Um, I think it's a spectrum. I think there's a lot of different responses. I think for some folks, this is um, new and difficult to hear. 
um, a lot of our stories, a lot of our patients who participate and tell their stories are critical of healthcare um, and their experiences. And so that can be hard to hear. Um, people can feel kind of an emotional sense of defensiveness. So a lot of it is trying to say we're all a part of this and we have to, if we really want to see change, we have to be willing to look at our role in this. And that's a hard thing to do. So I think a lot of it is with faculty um, having conversations about setting up a, a sort of space where it's safe to sort of think about our role and our participation or being complicit in a system that is causing harm. And that can be difficult. Yeah. Um, but also those are folks who've had more experience. So our students have often not encountered a lot of patients with substance use disorder. A lot of faculty have. And a lot of those are maybe instances of crisis, maybe instances where something really difficult happened. And so we really, what we also try to push, in addition to tolerating ambiguity in these stories full of complexity, is being willing to critique the ways in which we are interpreting another person. So what are you bringing to this patient, for example, who we just heard from, that might be informed by something that happened a really long time ago or in a different context that, that is causing you to, before she ever even talks, have a bias against her. Um, and so it's that sort of self-reflection, that sort of critical look at one's own interpretive lens. And that's a skill that we try to strengthen. And it's difficult to do, but that's what we try to do more with, I would say, the faculty. Mm -hmm. I'd like to get some takeaways for, for individuals out there who may have someone, they may themselves have a, a substance use uh, disorder, may have sought treatment, may have had a bad experience. What can what can be done if you at uh, you know your healthcare provider, a large city, small town in Iowa, in the Midwest, anywhere in the country? What can you do? Recognizes this is a, this is a, a change, a work in progress to change this culture of language and so many other things and biases. What can you do as a patient if you have this sort of bad experience, which we've heard about this hour, Doctor Lynch? Well, I would say not give up. And, um, you know, I really, I'm so sorry for everybody that has had a negative experience with a healthcare provider or with the healthcare system. But um, there are lots of healthcare providers who really care about our patients and, and, and are trying to get better at understanding and empathize and, and respect our patients that use substances and understand that as a medical condition and as something that we have something to offer with. And I just have, you know, I do a lot of teaching to um, other healthcare providers, and mm -hmm. I, I really want to get the message out to them that um, I have the privilege every day of working with people who are like the patient that we heard and are like, like Dylan, um, who have had their life negatively impacted by substance use. And it's such a privilege to watch them get into recovery and to be a part of that with them. Um, and I just would want to spread hope and and support and kindness and and caring and empathy. Um, it, it is it, the, what I get to do is so satisfying a practice. And um, so I hope more healthcare providers will embrace that. And I hope that more patients will have positive experiences when they interact with their healthcare provider. Speaking with Dylan beforehand, part of my conversation with him that we didn't hear earlier this hour, fascinating to end this hour, that addictions um, and uh, substance use disorders are everywhere through our all of our economic classes. And, and, and Dylan made the remark that, you know, if you're in, living in a tent by the river, it's very apparent you may have a substance use disorder. But people who are very wealthy can, he said, they can hide it. But the, it's 
it's present in all our populations, right? Absolutely. And, and so we have to examine our own biases there that rich or poor or somewhere in the middle, Kate, um, uh, we have these disorders that exist and we have to connect people with uh, connect with people as human beings, regardless of their economic status, their looks, and so forth. Yeah, and I think that exactly goes along with the idea of like this narrative intervention. We think we know what this looks like. We think we know the story of substance use disorder because we consume it constantly. Um, and that's really our goal with this project in general is disrupting what you think you know yeah. about another person's story. Um, it could be anyone, and you've no idea what what's happened in their life that's contributed to whatever their circumstances. Um, and so when we tell the students and, and even those folks who, who, are, who you're talking about, Dr. Lynch, who you want you know, to say it's a privilege to hear their stories. And if we approach those folks with genuine curiosity to hear their story without the assumption that we know something about it already, that will make a huge difference. I think. For people like me fascinated with this topic in this area of, of uh, progress in, in medicine, what are some resources? What can pe- where can people go to find out more information or find more about the creative writing program? Kate, start us off. Um, well, I mean, we have a website, but also I think... Um, to me, any kind of storytelling or public writing, and again, what you were saying for folks who've had bad experiences, that's a great place to start. Um, I think just talking to the people in your family, one of the things I've experienced in this position is whatever room I'm in, I'm in an odd job, <laughs> as you said in your introduction, and everyone in the room has a story to tell. Um, and so listening to those stories and validating them is really powerful just to begin with, I think. Okay, we've run out of time. Thank you very much. Uh, Kate DeSherry is Director of Creative Writing at the UI Carver College of Medicine. Dr. Allison Lynch, thanks to you, and Dr. Eric Epping. Thank you all three for coming into our studio today. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Iowa Democrats elected a new party chair on the weekend, Rita Hart. Tomorrow, it's a Politics Wednesday edition. Analysis uh, from political scientists Karen Kodrowski of Iowa State University, Adrian Gathman of Simpson College. So much to talk about each and every Politics Day. Hope you'll tune in. River to River today, produced by Caitlin Troutman with help from Danny Gear. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Take care. Join us again tomorrow. <laughs>